Come on, there's something powerful about knowing Jesus, not as just some man that walked 2,000 years ago, but when you can know the Prince of Peace, it doesn't matter what kind of storm you face. It doesn't matter what, how turbulent the water is. When you have the Prince of Peace in your presence, he can settle you in the middle of it. That's what's amazing about our God and our Savior, Jesus. When you get to a place where you feel like life is so unstable, when you can know the Prince of Peace, I'm telling you, it will, it will help bring balance in the middle of even the hardest things. The series that we've been in called Vertigo, we've been talking about what happens when our faith gets out of balance. What happens in our lives when we get to a place where things that have come at us, things we see all around us, bring great fear into our lives. It's when our faith begins to spin. That's when we need to put our focus on something that is stable and does not move. And that is Jesus. That's what we've been learning. I hope it's been inspiring your faith. If you don't have any problems in your life, the series has probably not done you a lot of good. But, but if, you, if you've gone through some things or if you're in some things, then this series would speak to you. As we close it out today, I want to read, if I could, if you'd remain standing for just a few minutes here and in Lancaster. I just want to send my love to everyone in Lancaster campus. Can we just send our love, Lithopolis, to Lancaster campus? Lancaster, thank you for coming to church today. Uh, you know, you don't need the prince of, or the, the presence of Tim. You need the presence of Jesus in the middle of the storm. So I don't have to be there in Lithop or in Lancaster, but you can experience the presence of Jesus today. I want to read from the context of the song we just sang. It, it's a story that many of you might be familiar with. Matthew chapter 14 of, of Jesus doing a miracle in the midst of a storm. I want to read Matthew 14, verses 25 through 29. This is our passage for today. I believe God wants to do something in your faith. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. That's his disciples. They were in a boat walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Verse 29, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. Can I ask you a question? How many of you have ever tried to walk on water? Raise your hand. Be honest. We're in church. You are lying. I have, and it does not work so well. But somehow Jesus was able to do it. Somehow Peter, through the power of Jesus, was also able to do it. I believe God wants to use this to speak to our hearts today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and I know, God, there are people in our church. There are some who are watching this online who maybe couldn't even make it to church today because of the storms, because of the rocky waters that they're on. God, I pray that you would use this passage to illuminate something in our heart. God, would you change our perspective? Would you lift our perspective higher today? Would you give us a new way to see you, a new way to see our storms, God? And would you build our faith through your word today? God, we know you're going to do something in us. 
And so we open our hearts to receive it from your word today. And we pray all these things in the name of our amazing Savior, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, come on, give him praise one more time as you find your seat. You can go ahead and be seated today. Walking on water. I have tried that uh, more than once. You'd think you'd figure it out when you can't do it the first time. Did you know that there is a lizard that can walk on water? Have you ever heard of it? Do you know what they call it? Does anybody know? They call it the Jesus lizard. They do. They call it the Jesus lizard because of this very story. The lizard can get about 20 feet across water staying above the surface before it eventually sinks. And, and, and so um, you might try this from time to time in your life, especially if you were a kid. Uh, wanting to do that. But I think um, there's something about this story and what I read to you that feels so familiar as a Sunday school story. I, I feel like I was taught this in Sunday school, which is why I probably tried this as a kid to walk on water. There, there's something about it that's a Sunday school story. And sometimes what we do in Sunday school, because kids are young and don't have full capacity and haven't experienced life the way some of you have experienced it, is that we'll tell them part of the story, but we don't sometimes give them all the drama, right? You know, sometimes kids aren't, aren't ready for drama, and that's why there's ratings on movies and things, because they're not ready for the drama. And so, so sometimes we can approach this story, and you can miss the true narrative of it if you don't have the full context. You, you can actually miss kind of the essence of it, and it can start to feel like one of Jesus's uh, party tricks. Jesus had some particular miracles and things that you look at and go, that seems more like a party trick than kind of like a, a really needed miracle. You know, like when he turned water into wine? That was at a party. It's a party trick, right? Or, or when Jesus walks on water, you know, that's, it's like, wow, you can do that. And you can miss the whole entire essence of of the story. I think sometimes we do that with the Bible. We'll take a verse. I don't know if you've ever seen someone do this. They'll take a verse or a verse reference and we'll stick it on a coffee mug to encourage you when you're drinking your coffee in the morning. Put it on a bumper sticker and, and sometimes even on an inspirational poster. Have you ever seen those Christian inspirational posters? We'll, we'll, we'll do that and you'll see a poster of an athlete or a guy that's just like he's sitting on the end of a weight bench and he's like, he looks like he's defeated and he's got sweat dripping from his face. You can tell he's been working out and he's sitting there slumped over and you can tell that he was trying to get 225 for 10 reps on the bench, but he somehow he couldn't. And then there you'll see right underneath of it, this verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Y'all seen that poster? That's going to help me push more weight. It's going to help me get through this workout. Oh, yeah. Now I feel it. Here's the problem with it. That is pulled out of context. Paul wasn't trying to lift weights. He wasn't trying to kind of get to a certain part in a bench. He wasn't doing that. When Paul wrote those words, he wrote it from prison, and he wrote it under the context of, I know what it's like to be broke. I know what it's like to be poor. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to barely survive. But I also know this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's the real context of it. And so sometimes we got to be careful we don't sanitize these stories and kind of strip the real, the real meaning and essence that can actually build your faith in the midst of a storm. See, I only read to you part 
of the story. I didn't give you the full context. I just gave you the part that, that we all like. But if I were to give you the context, and I, and I will, I'm, I'm going to read to you a little bit more of it, the verses that I kind of skipped over. But I also want to give you this context. This whole scenario that happens on this lake, the Lake of Galilee, happens right after or right almost in the middle of Jesus performing one of the most significant miracles that you can find in many of the gospel accounts, and that is Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with a few carp and some carbs. Do you all know that story? Where, where they're ministering all day to a group that's probably numbers somewhere around 15,000 plus, if you include women and children. And Jesus has been preaching and ministering and they're hungry and his disciples come to him. It's late in the day, afternoon, evening. Send them away so that they'll have time to go get some food. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, 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 you, you give them something to eat. And, and they don't have anything. They see a little boy with his lunch. Maybe he's a relative. And they say, well, we can steal his lunch. And it's got five loaves of bread and two fish. And, and, and Jesus said, this is all we got. And Jesus says, sometimes all you got is all you need, right, with Jesus. And he blessed it, broke it, and fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Now, it's right in the context of this happening that Matthew gives us a perspective of this story. So I didn't read to you starting in verse 22, but let me read verses 22 through 24. This is the first part. He said, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up by the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Jesus is on the mountain up high there in the lake. It says, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. And here's what happened. It was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, I had never really noticed this before this week studying this. I never picked up on this that it's still in the context of Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. They're taking their last bites. They, they have not even finished the service. This is a service. Massive crowds. Jesus has not even done the benediction. Jesus has not, like, I don't know if you caught this. Jesus did not close out the thing. He hasn't done the prayer. He didn't do the closing announcements for everybody in the church. He didn't tell all of the first time guests, hey, VIPs, we've got an area for you in the back or look for the red tent. We want you to stop up there. We got a gift we want to get. He hasn't even gotten to all of that. Hadn't talked about you can give online or you can give via text or we have ushers at the door. He didn't do any of that. He hasn't prayed to release. None of that has happened. He stops in the middle. They just finished eating. And he's like, imagine, everybody's around him. Hold on. Hey, guys, get in the boat. I need you to start sailing. It says immediately. He made them. The word is like a forceful word. Like, no, 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 no. Get in the boat. Start rowing. And go across the lake. I'm, I'm thinking, this is odd to me. Why not finish the service? Why not, hey, come on, I want you all to stand up here with me, and, and we got ushers, come on, disciples, we're going to go out and pass the offering plan. No, 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 no. Before it's over, get in the boat and start rowing across the lake. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, just so you know. It doesn't give us the answers why. Sometimes it doesn't tell you why. And so sometimes I kind of try to fill in that gap in my own narrative. And they're my, my own conclusions. I was thinking this. This is how I think. Two basic conclusions maybe on why Jesus made them get into the boat 
before he even finished the service or releasing the people. My two basic conclusions are this. Either one, he's a fast walker and they need a head start because he's going to be able to catch up to them. Any fast walkers in the house today? Come on, hello. I, that's one thing I love about Jesus. He was a fast walker. I'm a fast walker. I feel like I would be able to follow him. And so that's one possibility. Maybe not a good conclusion. Or then I came up with this other conclusion because I'm just thinking about why did he have to stop? Why didn't he finish the service? Why did he tell him you got to get started? And, and then all of a sudden we know the story. There's a storm that comes up. What if Jesus wanted them to get in the boat and start rowing across to the other side? before they could see the storm clouds and not want to get in the boat. What, what if, I know it's my narrative, what if Jesus was going to do something, but he makes them get into a boat and he knows that they're going to sail into a storm, but he says, I've got to get you in the boat now because if you start to see the dark clouds coming and the wind pick up, you'll never do it. And I wonder what if there are times when God might even send us into situations where we're going to face hardship, we're going to face persecution, we're going to face storms, and he doesn't even warn us because if he did, we probably wouldn't go. I'm not getting in the boat. Look at the black clouds. They're fishermen. They know better than that. No, 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 no. We'll walk around. No, Jesus says, I need you to get in the boat now and start rowing. I think one of, one of the things you're going to have to wrestle with when it comes to having faith in God, and there's not a lot of preachers that will talk about this, and I do believe there is no greater decision than to place your faith in Jesus Christ. No greater decision. But sometimes people won't tell you that you're going to then have to wrestle with the idea that you're going to face some difficulty. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to face some trials because you're a Christ follower. You're going to face some storms because you're following Jesus. And he might even put you in a boat and send you right into him. You're, you're going to have to wrestle with this because sometimes we get this thought that, well, if I follow Jesus, right, he's the Prince of Peace, I'll never deal with any storms. No, that's, that's not what we learn. He made them get into a boat. And then Jesus goes himself up onto a mountainside. And he goes to pray. And it says that he stayed there even when the storm's coming. See, Jesus had a perspective up on top of the mountain that was different than those guys. He could see them sailing away, rowing. He, could, he had a perspective of them. They're headed out into this lake in a massive storm, and Jesus stays up on top of the mountain, and he just prays, and he prays, and he's just like any pastor. He prays, and he prays, and he prays, and all of a sudden, he, he's all the way until almost morning, until dawn. Now, I... I was thinking about the context of this. Jesus would have relief, released this huge crowd before it got dark. He, he would have released them late afternoon, evening, so they would have time after dinner to get where they need to go, so they're not thousands of people traveling. And yet from there until morning, these disciples are sitting there rowing against the heavy wind. Picture the waves or swells or huge I don't know if you've ever been out on a boat in the middle of like a huge sea, lake, but it can be scary, especially in the middle of a storm. I've been out there. 
Big, massive swells. They're rowing. They're exhausted. They're tired. Can you imagine this? They're up in this moment where they're, they're rowing all night. What probably should have taken a couple hours to get across. Now they've been all night, pitch dark, exhausted, tired. Don't know if they're going to survive. Winds threatening the boat to break up. And it's in that moment, I can only imagine that they're looking up going, where are you, God? You ever felt like that when you're in the middle of something? Where are you, God? I have found when you're in the middle and it's too far to turn around, but you can't see the shore on the other side, that oftentimes will be the scariest. And it's the moment when you start to wonder, God, where are you? Why have you been silent? Why haven't you shown up? I've prayed for a miracle. I've prayed for you to calm the storm. I've prayed for you to do this. Where are you? And Jesus waits until almost dawn. Hours and hours, all night, they've been out, pitch dark, rowing, scared for their lives when Jesus decides, all right, I better, I better go out to these guys. And so Jesus does not take the conventional way, does not get another boat because why he wouldn't have been able to get out there with the, with the wind. So he decides, I'll just walk my way out there. This is Jesus. This is crazy. But he just walks his way out to the boat. Now, I, I, need, I need you to picture this a little bit because, again, Sunday school version that we, we got a flannel graph, they put it up on a board, and there was like the little, little waves, and the little boat was on there, and a the couple guys in the boat, and you're like, ee, ee, and uh, here comes Jesus walking, and it's always day, and the sun's out. That's not the scene. Pitch dark, right before dawn. Sun has not come up. Dark as can be on, and okay, massive waves, swells, wind coming, howling at them, loud as can be, swells, pitch dark. And then can you imagine just as, as they're all spread around the boat and they're all rowing and looking in all directions trying to find land. And right at that moment, imagine a big bolt of lightning shoots across the sky. And right as they do, there's Matthew looking out the back and he sees some ghostly figure, some silhouette in the dark coming toward them. Matthew's like, I saw something. What? No, you didn't. It's pitch dark. No, 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 I saw something. Look, look. And then nothing, nothing. And then another lightning bolt across the sky. And as soon as it does, a silhouette of this figure that's getting bigger and getting bigger and getting bigger. And it's getting closer. And every time lightning shoots, the, the figure gets closer and closer. Come on, now you can understand why they freak out. I don't know what's worse, the storm or the figure coming at you in the middle of the storm. You ever wonder sometimes, like, you ever say this, life couldn't get any worse than it is now. Sometimes it does. And, and, and so they're freaking out. It's a ghost. And then they hear this voice. You think they would have recognized. And Jesus says, no, no, take courage. It's just me. Don't be afraid. It's all good. It's just me. Right? And, and, and I, don't, I don't know if that would have worked for me. Like in the middle of the storm, this ghostly character, this figure, I don't know if I would have recognized Jesus' voice, but, but yet there he was. There he was. And I think there's a reality that we all need to understand and embrace when it comes to the storm. Listen, if you're not in a storm, when we say storm, we talk about a trial. That's what we mean when we talk about a storm. We sing about a storm. We talk about going through something painful. We talk about going through something hard. Here's the thing. If you're not in one, I promise you, you will be eventually. This is life. Life is not all smooth seas. It's not. 
And here's the one thing that I see from this story that I, I, God won't always calm every storm you're in as much as you want him to. But here's the thing. He will always be with you in that storm. Sometimes we don't recognize him. Here's what I've discovered. Sometimes you don't re realize that God was with you until you get to the other side and you look back and you say, oh, I guess that was God when that person encouraged me when I wanted to give up. I guess that was God trying to do something that I had no understanding of what he was doing. I guess he was there and I never knew he was there. So Jesus scrolling, just strolling up and and here's what Peter says. Now this kind of boggles my mind. I, I don't know why in the world Peter says what he says. But verse 28, Peter is the one who speaks up and he's kind of the loud mouth of the group and he's the one who always has something to say. And so he says, Lord, if it's you, Peter said, tell me to come to you on the water. Like, how many of you can think of some other way to identify Jesus than that. If it's you, tell me to come. And Jesus just said, come. Like, how many? I mean, come on. I'm thinking to myself, like, I would ask a security question before I would do that, wouldn't you? What's the name of your younger brother? What street did you grow up on? What's Mary's maiden name, right? You know, I would have asked that kind of question. Can we clarify who it is? Instead of saying, hey, Jesus, uh, how do I know it's you? And I thought, I thought to myself, because I'm wrestling with this. I'm like, why is Peter asking this? I just don't understand. I mean, this is, I guess, the same Peter who had seen him just feed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish. This is the same Peter that had seen Jesus heal all kinds of people of diseases. Lame men get up and walk. This is, this is Peter who had seen Jesus open blind eyes. Peter who had seen Jesus turn water into wine. He's seen all these things and yet he's still scared to death in this moment. And it's almost like he's saying, I understand that you don't freak out, Jesus, because I know that you have the power to do all of these things, but I don't and I'm scared to death. And so Peter asked something that I think is so revolutionary, if we could just get this. Because it's one thing to know that God is capable of doing miracles. I can believe that, the Creator God. We read the account over and over of all the things that Jesus has done. It's one thing to know that He is able to do that. It's another thing for you to experience it for yourself. It's one thing to know God can do miracles, and that will inform your faith, but the moment God does a miracle in you, it changes you. It changes you. It reminded me of, of a situation my oldest daughter experienced a year ago. Last summer, my, my daughter, my oldest daughter, Lauren, went on a mission trip to Russia. Now, she's 17 turning 18, and she th this year is going on another one. She will have gone five mission trips. I, I just say that to kind of encourage you. If you've never been on a mission trip, you ought to try it. It could change your life. And, and so she went to Russia last year with a few ladies, her, grand, her grandmother and a few ladies on this trip to go minister to a, a church and a church that's got a ministry in the drug rehab facilities and all, all kinds of things. And she was telling us about going on this trip. She was the only teenager. The rest of them were all older. 
And um, she said, she felt like it was almost for a while, it was like a waste. Like, she was almost thinking, why am I here? And, and, the, and the team would go to churches and they would have conferences, women's conferences and other things. And then they would pray for people and minister to them afterwards. And everybody wanted the adults because the adults are the ones with all the faith. We know that, right? I mean, that's who the, you know, it's kind of like the disciples when children were coming to Jesus. And he was like, no, 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 keep them. Don't bother him. And he was like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Unless you have faith like one of these, you aren't even getting into heaven. So, so, so that everybody's wanting, you know, the adults. And so th this one evening, she's kind of just discouraged. And it's like, why am I even here? And she felt like the Lord gave her this passage that she read about, you know, God will give strength to your bones and all, and all this stuff. And she, and she felt like God said that that's a word for somebody. Said, oh, okay. The very next day, they're ministering at a drug rehab facility. This is a place where, I mean, people who are hooked on all kinds of drugs and, and people just, you know, uh, just down and out in life come to this kind of facility. And they were kind of praying for all different people, and, and everybody wants the adults to pray. And so she was kind of just sent off to the side, just kind of praying. And just she said, I, I just felt like, why am I here? I don't even know why I'm here. This is waste. And um, as they were praying and almost done, wrapped up, they, they brought help a guy come in and sat in the back, uh, a guy that needed help to come in who had had a stroke seven years before that had paralyzed the whole entire left side of his body. His, his arm could barely move. It couldn't walk on his own. His face was paralyzed. He couldn't really speak. He would mumble. For seven years, he had been paralyzed because of that. And he was, they put him over in a corner. He's just sitting there. And she felt like God said, go pray for him. All right, okay. So she went over and, and she began to pray for him. And she remembered that verse that God had given her the day before about to bring strength and healing to your bones. And so she, she prayed for him. She just prayed for him and finished. And then done. And then they left and went home for the night. The very next day, this guy who had been paralyzed for seven years, they came to find out, came running into the drug rehab facility. Hold on, I don't know if I said that. I don't know if you caught that. He came running into the drug rehab facility, jumping up and down, saying, where have those people been for seven years? Healed completely could speak and you could understand them. And then later they found out he had gotten baptized as well. I'm telling you, God did a miracle. And so what I'm saying is this, it's one thing when you see God do miracles all around you, but the moment God does a miracle in and through you, it will change your faith forever. It'll change it. So Peter did something that maybe we should start doing when we feel challenged by God. When we get into situations, we don't know what to do. And here's what Peter, he didn't just ask Jesus for a sign. He asked him for a command. See, I think far too often what we do as Christians, we ask God for a sign rather than a command. We ask God, hey God, can you just give me a sign to let me know I'm going the right direction? Can you just show me so I know if I'm supposed to talk to her? God, if you would just make every light green. I know you've asked for that sign. So I'm not late. I've asked for it too. Then I know that you want me to quit this job. I mean, we ask God all the time for signs. Like we ask God, God, show me with a sign. Now here's the thing. I believe that we do it way too much. And here's why. Because most of us would rather have a sign than have to have faith. Ooh. Most of us would rather have a sign than, than need faith. 
I want to know it's going to work out before I even bother to get out of the boat. I want to know that it's going to work out before I quit the show. I want to know it's going to work out before I even think about proposing. I want to know. And so we say, show me a sign, God. Give me a sign. And I understand that. But sometimes God doesn't want to give us a sign. He wants to give us an invitation to step out in faith and do something. So Peter, who's bold with faith, says, tell me to do this. Tell me I can walk on water. And with one word, Jesus says, come. He doesn't give a bunch of instructions. He doesn't say, here's a 10-step process to walking on water. He doesn't tell them, here's how you balance your weight and make sure you put equal amount of pressure and don't lift one up. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, come. Can I tell you this? We ought to stop asking God for a sign. And when he gives us an invitation, we need to respond by faith. And the reason why he often just gives one word in the invitation is because he's going to challenge us by faith. Come. Come. What one word? Go, Abraham. Where am I going? You go and then I'll show you. Give but I don't know if we have enough and I don't know that I could give a tithe. I don't know. Give. Forgive. No, no, you don't understand because he did that and she said that. And forgive. You see, this is what it means to follow Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus without faith. And I think far too often we, we've got this very comfortable version of Christianity in our lives that never requires us to get out of the boat. Can I ask you a question? Can I look into the camera and say to someone in Lancaster, when was the last time that you had a get out of boat moment? When was the last time that you had to get out of the boat and it scared you? Because if you can't recall the last time you've had to do that, then I would say you're following some version of Jesus, but it's not the same version that I read to you about. Because that Jesus is going to put you in situations and he's going to ask you to do something that's going to scare you. Can I tell you one of the biggest get-out-of-the-boat moments for me was about two years ago when I shared with the church my vision that would carry us for this next season and our build-the-house plans. That's a get-out-of-the-boat moment for me. When God had laid on my heart this vision of reaching thousands, not, not just settling for where we are, yeah, God's already done a great work, but see, but reaching thousands upon thousands and giving away millions, I, I, I never realized like that that was a getting out of the boat moment and our next step build the house was to build another facility and I never realized how scary it would be until I started going down that road. That is so scary. You realize the millions of dollars that we have to borrow to do that? The millions that we have to try to raise to do that? Do you, I mean, I can't tell you how scared I am to even think about us starting it. And Jesus says, come. I really wish that he would give me a sign that, like, the city will actually allow it to happen. I would, I would, I would... I just really wish that he would give me a sign that there would be enough money. 
I really wish he would just give me a sign. He doesn't do that. He just says, come on. Scared to death. When was the last time that you had that moment? Here's what I've discovered. Until you have the opportunity to fail or to sink, you don't have the opportunity to see God's power. Until you have the opportunity to fall, until you have the opportunity to operate where there's no safety net, until you step out in faith, until you say, all right, I'm going to jump out of this boat, and I don't know if I'm going to sink or if I'm going to float. But until you do that, you will never have the opportunity to see the miracles of God in your life. We want miracles, but we don't want to get out of the boat. We want to be like the other disciples. I'm just going to stay in here and just kind of let you go ahead and do that, Peter. But you know what I discovered? There's only two people that ever walked on water, Jesus and Peter. And so my question to you today is this. It's real simple. What is God asking you to do that scares you? What's God asking you to do that scares you? What's he asking you to sell that you can't let go of? What's he asking you to give that you're not sure if there's going to be enough? What's he asking you to lead that you don't know if you have enough to do it? What's he asking you to serve? What's he asking you to do? To call somebody? To forgive somebody? To reconcile? To to pray for somebody? To invite somebody? What is he asking you to do right now that scares you to death? Because that's the very thing that if you would take that step and do it, that would cause you to grow in your faith. Most of the time we don't want to. I don't want to get out of the boat. But here's the thing we know about Peter. Peter gets out of the boat. He gets out of the boat. Immediately he begins to walk on water. And then if the story ended there, and what I read to you, you would say, wow, Peter has developed a new skill. That he, can, he has the faith now to walk on water. That's not how the story ends. You see, I didn't give you the full context. And I think there's a powerful thing that we can all relate to when you see what happens when he got out of the boat. It says in verse 30 that when he, Peter, saw the wind, I'm not really sure how you see wind, but Peter, I think he just was freaked out by it, okay? This is Matthew saying it. He was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Here it is again. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I, I've, I've preached this passage before, and I've heard this, this story preached so many times. And the, the conclusion that many preachers come to, and I understand this, a takeaway from this story for sure, is that Peter walked on the water until he took his eyes off Jesus. And I fully get that's what this series has been about. When everything's spinning, when the wind and the waves and you're scared to death, spiritual vertigo, we've been talking about how to pull focus and how to put, we we need to do that. But I don't think that's the only lesson in this. Right? Because I know that Peter, in this moment, he begins to sink, but I also see that Jesus is there to grab him and hold him when his faith falters. And I guess what I want to say is, you're going to have times in your life when your faith begins to sink, but in that moment, stay close enough to Jesus so he can grab you. When my youngest daughter, Audrey, was about five years old, we were trying to teach her how to swim. And, and we, we, 
we, we had her at this big common public pool, and she was doing so well. Like, we kind of, you know, we're the parents that by get to the second child, you just kind of throw them in and see if they bob up. And, you know, you know the first one, you're scared to death. Second one, like, oh, they'll, they'll breathe. You know what I mean? And, and so she was, like, picking it up fast. She's five, and she's, you know, swimming. And made her way to the diving board on the deep end where she'd jump off of the diving board into the deep water and would bob back up, and then we kind of, you know, make her way to the side of the, of the pool. And so she's doing that for a while, and then they blow the whistle, you know, rest break, and we were getting ready to leave. I, I came back over. I'm watching her. I had my shirt on, like, come on, we got to go. And can I just swim a little longer? And if you're five and under, you could keep swimming so you can practice without all the crazy people in the pool. And so here she is, and I said, okay, okay. And she, she jumps off another time or two. And then I said, you know what? You're doing so, I'm encouraging. I'm like, you're so good at swimming. I bet you could swim from this side of the deep end to the other side. You think I could? I said, I I know you could. You're already swimming half of it now. I said, I know you could. So I gave her some instructions. I said, you get on the side of the pool, and and I said, you're going to start, and you're going to point your fingers, and you're going to push off the wall, and you're going to glide, and then you're going to start swimming. It's easy. Next thing you know, you're going to be over on the other side. Okay, okay. And I'm standing on the side of the pool, and and, and so she kind of, she does that, and she pushes off the side, and she didn't get as far as I pictured in my mind she would get, you know, you normally do. And so she pushes off and she's kind of swimming. My wife's walking up with her, you know, shirt and everything on like we're going to leave. And I'm like, honey, come on, come here. you're going to catch this. She's going to swim all the way across the deep and watch this. She looked at me and said, you idiot, what are you doing? She's five. I'm like, she takes after me. She's an overachiever. She can do this, right? And so she's swimming, and she gets about halfway out into the deep end, and, and she, you know, you know how kids are, they're learning to swim. Like, sometimes you can't tell if that's a swimming stroke or if they're drowning. You know what I mean? And so she slows down in the middle of the deep end, and it's like flailing, and my wife's like looking at me. She's like, I don't think she's doing so well. Nah, she'd get there, you know? And then she was like, no, 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 you need to jump in and get her. I'm like, I got my shirt on. Right as I say that, this lifeguard who's there watching jumps off of his lifeguard stand, full on dive, with his shirt on. (laughs) I did not appreciate that. Dives into the water, grabs her, brings her to the side, and sticks her up on the end and just looks at me. (laughs) She would have made it if you had just given her a chance. That was a dad fail. I get it. I get it. But I, but I guess I think it's also a picture of what Jesus did for Peter when he couldn't make it in the deep. I guess what I'm saying is whatever it is that you're going through, can I encourage you with this? Don't give up. Don't give in. Stay close to Jesus so that when your faith begins to falter when your faith begins to sink that means just keep coming I know I got doubts and I don't know if I even believe in a God just keep coming to church you're welcome to come with your doubts just keep going to that small group I don't, I don't know I'm just not feeling it I just don't know if God's even there and I'm struggling just keep coming What's the point in reading the Bible? I don't, I don't get anything out of it. Just keep reading. I pray and God never does miracles. I don't know. Just keep praying. 
Just keep yourself close enough to Jesus because my guess is your faith will falter. I'm not trying to speak that, but I've been living that, so I know it. And when that happens, just know he will immediately grab you and keep you from drowning. He will. And then as the story ends, verse 32, it says, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. See, for a long time they had been following Jesus, but really didn't even know and believe who he was. But it was in the storm and seeing him show up. See, you can see miracles of water in the wine. You can see miracles of feeding 5,000 men plus women. You can see miracles of God healing someone else. But when you're in a storm, when you're freaking out, and that's when Jesus shows up, and Jesus does a miracle in you, and Jesus shows up in the time that is the hardest, maybe that's the moment when you're going to see him the clearest. Maybe Jesus needed them to get in the boat so they would get in the middle of a place where they feared death before Jesus could show up and show off his power so they would know who he is. And I want to say, maybe that's what God is doing in your spiritual vertigo. Maybe he's allowed you. Maybe he's put you in a boat. Maybe he's pushed you off into the water. And you're saying, where are you? Why, why haven't I seen you? And what you don't know yet is that he's there. He's there. And he wants to meet you. And somehow through this experience, you're going to have a whole new perspective of who God is. Sometimes that's the purpose of it. Come on, pray with me today. God, I, I feel like there are people right now in our church that God maybe have found themselves in the middle of a lake and can't make out where the shore is. And God, I, I pray right now for the everlasting peace, the Prince of Peace, that, God, you would reveal yourself in this moment. I just believe for some of you that are in that place that you've been looking for a sign. You've been wanting to know if God is there. God is there, but he doesn't want to give you a sign. He wants to give you an invitation. He wants to invite you to step, to do something. And once you do that, then you'll see the provision. Once you do that, then you'll see the peace. Once you do that, then you will see who He really is. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate that thing for all of us that you're asking us to do, we've been afraid to do. That God, you would use it to change our perspective of you. For some of you, maybe it's surrendering your life to Jesus. Maybe getting out of the boat for you is this, I, I'm going to go all in with Jesus. I believe some of you, maybe, maybe you're here, church, and this is the decision that you need to make. It's an all-in decision to follow Christ. It's not, it's not a world where you'll never have trouble. I need to tell you that. But there's something about surrendering fully to Christ, the placing your faith in Him, that he will bring peace in the middle of the storm. And if that's you today, if you, you need to know this, man. When you surrender your life to him, when you say, God, forgive me of my sin. 
God, I believe that you are Jesus, the Son of God, truly the Son of God, that you died for me, you rose again. When you go all in with Him, something begins to shape inside of you. Something begins to sure up inside of you. That is the Spirit of God. And today I believe He wants to give that gift to some of you. If that's you today, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me. It's a prayer of responding to the invitation. Jesus is saying, come, follow me. If that's you, would you just pray this prayer with me here in Lancaster or watching this online? Would you say, Jesus, today I believe you are the Son of God, that you died for me and rose again to give me new life. And today I place my faith in you. I fully surrender everything to you. I'm getting out of the boat. And by faith, I want to begin a journey to follow you. I give you my life today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Come on, let's just praise God for those who prayed that prayer today.